Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer and super nice guy Dylan Gilbertson about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, if you do enjoy the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Dylan Gilbertson. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. How are you doing? Oh, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, great to get uh, somebody from across the pond uh, on the show and uh, from the West Coast, nonetheless, um, which means even more of a time difference. So it's amazing that, that we've been able to uh, schedule <laughs> a yeah. actual show together. So yeah, I appreciate I was, it. I was, yeah, I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to, uh, to make a time because of the time difference, because I, I usually go to work around this time. Um, but, uh, today's veterans day in the States. And so I, and I work for a university and so they don't, uh, they're not open today. And so I get the day off. Bingo. Um, that's, that's fantastic. And obviously, uh, much respect going out to all of our veterans uh, out there for, for veterans day. Um, and, uh, which is known as remembrance Sunday over here in the UK. Oh so, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Um, cause we, we always celebrate it on a Sunday. Um, right. even if it's not the 11th. Um, we'll, we'll still celebrate it on the uh, on the Sunday, but uh, yeah, much respect going out to all our veterans um, for um, all of their service, really. Um, but uh, that that aside, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on Comics for the Apocalypse. It's it's a real pleasure to have you on. Uh, now we kind of got introduced basically on Twitter through Aaron Ira, the effective nerd. Uh, so that was yeah. that was absolutely fantastic of him to do that. But for, for, for anybody uh, that doesn't know uh, who or what you do, um, what do you do in the world of comics? Uh, I'm a comic book writer, and so uh, I'm one of the unfortunate souls not talented enough and without the... Um, without the conviction to learn to draw well. Um, and so I, I've been relegated to writing. Um, I do a lot of horror comics. Um, some of the stuff that I'm known most for are horror comics. Uh, I have a, a book called Sweetheart coming out in March of 2020 from Action Lab Danger Zone. I've been in a couple anthologies, um, the Local Haunts anthology that just came out. Um, <clears throat> And then uh, a sci-fi, sort of an existential sci-fi one about the nature of death and, and sort of what that means for us and the people around us that I did with uh, with uh, this really talented woman uh, named Anastasia Longoria who did all the art for it. So, um, yeah, that's sort of uh, the, the, the quick rundown of what I've done and sort of what I'm doing right now. Fantastic. And, and where can people find out about all of your, all of your comics and, and whatnot? So I, I do most of my uh, online interactions on Twitter at Dill Gilbertson, uh, and then Instagram is the same. But uh, I don't I don't usually use Instagram all too much. And then you can see samples of of most all my work uh, at DylanDoesComics.com. Fantastic, and and all of those links will be in the show notes as well, so folks can just click through straight there as well. Uh, now, um, I do unfortunately have some bad news for you, Dylan. 
uh, and that is that there is an asteroid heading for Earth. Um, and unfortunately, it's heading straight for the west coast of America. Um, so my, my first question for you is, what is your action plan for survival? Like, it's, a, it's an asteroid. Like, how do you... <laughs> how do you avoid an asteroid or how do you survive that depending i mean i guess it depends on on where on the west coast it hits but uh i mean it's the the first i mean my first thought is to try and so i live in san diego and we have a a lot of military down here but i don't know off the top of my head of any military bases um that have that sort of survival uh capabilities for a, a full-on asteroid that comes down but I think that's probably my first move is to maybe head up to Pendleton, Camp Pendleton, it's called, right. or or sort of over in, in Mira Mesa somewhere. But the unfortunate thing is, like, that's probably going to be jammed, right? Like, there's going to be so yeah. many people with the same idea. And that's the unfortunate thing is that, like, with I think with the apocalypse, most people's thoughts are going to go to the same places, like, Go to military bases, get on the roads, get in your car, go somewhere. So there's going to be traffic everywhere. Um, the, so I think, so I'm, I'm a type 1 diabetic, and so I think my first plan of action is to immediately walk across the street to the pharmacy and just stock up on insulin. Yes. And then depending on how, how many mobs of people are there with the same idea, maybe just try and hole up there. Um, I, I don't know, hide under a desk or whatever they teach you in school for earthquakes or something and just pray for the best. <laughs> Awesome. Um, and is anybody um, coming with you? Uh, my girlfriend, probably. She lives with me. And so uh, ideally, she would be here with me when we got the news. And then we'd just try and bug out from there. <laughs> nice, man. Fantastic. So um, you're hunkered down under this table in a pharmacy uh, with, with copious amounts of insulin. So you should be set for, for a <laughs> while. Um, but uh, you're, uh, you, you start having a conversation about comics and your girlfriend asks you what's the first comic you remember enjoying the first one that i can recall is a calvin hobbs book i didn't discover calvin hobbs in the newspaper like a lot of people did right uh mine was the uh the deranged mutant killer monster snow goons i think the book was called okay wow and she has just it's a it's a, just a collection of, of calvin Hobbes strips into into a volume and i think i don't know how many of those volumes they've got they've got so many that's the first one that i can really remember reading comics be like wow i think i'm into comics now and uh i i remember that was also my first attempt at drawing comics as i was trying to draw spaceman spiff which was this alternate identity of, of calvin and his imagination and and so I think oh, that's cool. probably the first one that was the jumping point for me. And how old were you at this point? I would probably say seven or eight. All oh, right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So fairly young. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, and then did did that lead to any other uh, comics at all, or were you kind of pretty much set on on Calvin and Hobbes? Or I stuck with Calvin and Hobbes for a long, long time. Right. There was, I, I remember going into, I think it was a, a Fred Meyer, which is sort of like a West Coast version of of Walmart, <clears throat> right. and going in there, and I think the first like floppy book that I ever bought was an X-Men comic, and I'm trying to remember what number it was. I've got it stashed somewhere at my house, or my parents' house, rather, in Oregon somewhere, 
but it was it was an X-Men comic, but I remember reading it and it was right in the middle of some larger story. And I remember being so confused and just being really taken aback by how much there was to know that I didn't know. And it sort of made me feel small trying to understand it. And so that that oddly enough put me put me off comics for a while right. until I discovered that they made graphic novels. And so I, I can't remember what the first one I picked up was, but I, I remember graphic novels being my entryway because those were sort of more self-contained stories that, that you didn't have to have a great wealth of background knowledge to understand what was currently happening. Nice, kind of self-contained stories. Right, yeah, yeah. Things that were easier to jump into if you weren't already familiar with stuff. Definitely. Um, and where, where was kind of the jumping off point for you in terms of wanting to become a writer? That's sort of, I, I think my first attempt at writing stories was when I was in college. I was taking a course on genetics and we were talking about the difference between uh, uh, DNA between animals and between species and and just how similar the, the chimpanzee DNA was to humans and what would need to be changed and, mm-hmm. and all these things to patch similarities and stuff like that. And I remember thinking, like, what it, like, could, could you use something? I, I want to say this might have been before CRISPR was a huge thing. So CRISPR's um, something they use in genetics now that's sort of uh, leading the way in genetic modification and, and embryos and, and sort of designer babies and then all this all this stuff that people are sort of worried about. But anyway, um, I remember talking, joking with my friends about like, what if you modified a, 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 um, a, a, a chimpanzee embryo and just changed it into a human while it was in the womb? Like, could you have a human born from, uh, born from a chimp? And then we called him humanzy. And it was this sort of joke that we had that went running and then we talked about putting other animal parts on them. It is, it is, we were a weird bunch <laughs> of kids. Now that, I'm, now that I'm saying it out loud, we were weird. Um, but yeah, so we that went on into this this comic book that my friend Amber and I wrote together called Bear Arm Baby, where a doctor had accidentally spilled uh, some bear DNA into into the womb of this woman he was doing surgery on, and he accidentally drops a bunch of scalpels in and a laser pointer. Like he's like the worst doctor you could ever imagine. <laughs> Sounds and and so the the baby's DNA changes, so he has bear arms, but the scalpels have fallen into the tissue, so that he has razors for claws, and then the laser pointer falls in his eye, so he's got a laser eye. And it was this really absurd horror comedy comic that we wrote, and there's like. There's like ten issues of them still online somewhere. I think I've got a link for it in my in my portfolio on Dylan Does Comics. But right. it was that was my first my first venture into writing comics, and it was a lot of fun. And I think I I eventually just ran with that. Awesome. Um, That's a weird that? thing to say out loud. I've I've written I've written that a couple of times. Like tell people like, oh, where where was the first comic you wrote? And I wrote it. But saying it out loud, it just it's a that's bizarre. I'm not sure. It hits at home, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean it you just come up with weird premises and it's it's just a story at the end of the day. Um, right. But uh it, it that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm gonna have to properly check that out, Dylan. Yeah, it's uh, I've I've spoke Amber I think is the one that also drew everything on it and I've talked to her about this and so I, I don't feel bad saying it. But it's it's probably one of the worst looking things ever. 
Right. And it's, but it fits the style so much. Like it's just so weird. Like, like it couldn't, it shouldn't be drawn any other way than this weird sloppy style that she did. It's, it's hilarious. It's great. <laughs> nice man. Excellent. Um, and so uh, moving on from that first question, uh, the next question that comes up under the uh, pharmacy table is, uh, what's the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most? I think that was. It's still Calvin and Hobbes. Like it, yeah. it always has been, and it always will be. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes. When you read it when you're a kid, like there's there's so many jokes, like um, like Calvin trying to snag Hobbes in his, you know, trying to get lure him into a trap with a tuna fish sandwich, and and Hobbes sort of making fun of Calvin and how how uh, how much less intelligent he is. There's a lot there's a lot of jokes in there that kids can sort of latch onto, and it's really great for kids. But then when you grow older. Like a lot of the jokes take on a lot of different meanings, and there's there are a lot of a uh, I don't want to say adult because that sort of gives the wrong impression, but there's a lot of um, more there's a lot more depth to them than any kid could probably pick up on. Yeah, and then uh, and so it's not necessarily the one that will they're not gut busters they're not going to make my side mm-hmm. split open laughing reading them mm-hmm. um, but the fact that the same jokes have such longevity to them and have so many different meanings like it and they're they're never they never tire of reading they're they're great no matter what age you are and you can read really read them over and over again yeah completely timeless and because uh, calvin and hobbes is so accessible you know yeah, a few it's, panels it's like you know, come on, everybody can get it. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're really great. And then if you want to dig deeper into it, like, um, Watterson, I found out, I think when I was in college, so I, I read them when I was a kid and they were great. And then I reread them, um, when I was in college and they were great again for the reasons I just, I just described, like I understood them in, in more adult contexts. And then I took a philosophy class later in college and just sort of, found these parallels and apparently Calvin and Hobbes were modeled in their behavior after two philosophers, um, Thomas Hobbes and, and Calvin. And, and then you start looking at what the beliefs were for those two philosophers and you're like, this is, they match wow. up perfectly. And so I did not know yeah, like, that. So, yeah. So Calvin, there's a, a, a belief system called Calvinism um, that is essentially determinism where none of your actions really affect the world and that free will is more or less an illusion, but um, nothing is really up to you and that it's the universe is going to dictate what happens regardless of your thoughts or actions. And so Calvin, he always blames things on external factors. And so when they're playing Calvin ball or whatever, and, and Calvin loses the game, he'll blame it like, Oh, the cruddy wind or the, the trees or whatever it is that are, that's affecting my life. And it's not my fault. It's everything else's fault. And, and so you see a lot of parallels with that. And then Thomas Hobbes had this, this idea that uh, humans were, were so much more superior to animals because humans had the capacity for, for deeper thought and reasoning. Whereas animals were just essentially flesh machines that didn't have their own internal thoughts and dialogue and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see that a lot with, with Hobbes is that he he talks down to Calvin all the time like oh, it's so much great so much greater being a cat than it is to be some some cruddy human like humans are just so so beneath me and so yeah. when you when you look into that like there's just there's so much just lying beneath the surface of of even the most mundane jokes that are in it it's great that's incredible 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's amazing when you find out stuff like that, and you know that there's real kind of foundation to to it all, um, like even more foundations than you than you initially thought. Um, so that, that's incredible. Um, so uh, we move on to the to the next question, uh, which is what is the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? Uh, gosh, there's there's so many sad moments in comics that I love. So my when I when I am trying to think about these questions, I I'm a very out of sight, out of mind type of person, and so uh, I'm try I don't want to to do any disservice to comics that have come earlier that I've since forgotten and am opting instead for more recent ones. Um, the, the one, uh, let's see the, the Superman, um, I think it might've been an all-star Superman where he talks to the, the suicidal girl is always, um, one that comes up a lot. That one, that one's really fantastic, but there's one, that uh, some yeah, Mr. Miracle was also a great one. Uh, everything, everything in Mr. Miracle from the the Tom King, Mitch Jarrett's run that they did. Um, there's just so much there's there's so much sadness, but it 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 all works so well and is almost a, a feel good sad book in a weird way. Yeah, but there's one that I I always remember when I'm thinking about things like this, like what what the most upsetting comics are. And there's one I remember reading again back. It was probably it was over ten years ago, and I think it was from a guy named Jason Youngbluth. I think might have been the name. Right. And it was it was this comic called Stuffed Friend, where this girl—it's like four pages long—and this girl is really upset that her stuffed animals keep disappearing. And so she, uh, so she, she talks to her parents, her mom, and like begs her for a new toy, and she's like, "No, you can't have any more. You keep losing them." And then. After after begging her, she sort of relents and gets her this stuffed bear, and and then uh, when the girl's going to sleep at night, the animal comes to life and like talks to her, and it's like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. This is going to be great. We're going to be the best friends. And then and then you sort of it's heavily suggested that the girl is is abused in some way, and like after the the scene is over, the the stuffed animal sort of says, well, we, I didn't really sign up for this, and I I'm sorry, but I can't be here for this. And sort of leaves her and then jumps out the window. And then you see it below her window is this pile of stuffed animals that have all done the same thing. You discover that sort of what happens to all of her, her stuffed animals is that they just sort of leave her. And like it's it's so upsetting on so many levels. And I I almost hate thinking about it, but it's it's a comic that has stuck with me for so long that it's hard not to sort of present that as as the end-all be-all answer to like just the most upsetting comic I've ever read. Yeah, oh my god, that's like even though it's like stuffed toys, that sounds right. just emotionally heartbreaking. Yeah, and it's and like and like you don't even you don't see anything graphic, and it's not. No, like, of course. I think the I think the most that you see is that I think like you you see the girl sitting in her bed, and then the door opens, and there's just like a silhouette of a man standing in the door, and then in the next panel. Like she's just sort of she's sort of roughed up, and she, I don't I can't remember if she might have a bruise on her eye or something, but she's just sort of roughed up, and then the the toy is sort of taken aback and sort of shocked about what had just transpired. But yeah, you don't see anything graphic. It's very it's all very um, suggestive, I guess, in nature, and so it's it's a incredible what kind of emotion it can draw forward just by using the the simplest tricks like that. And it's it's a uh, it's an impressively made comic, um, 
as disturbing as it is, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, and sometimes that's kind of the the best thing to do is to keep it short and sweet, and that really makes an impact on a yeah the, um, the story. Yeah, the, the one of the sort of unwritten rules. I, I, well, I'm sure it's been written a bajillion times, but one of the rules of comics is sort of less is more. Yeah, I, I think that is sort of a, a, a sort of embodies that to to a pretty incredible degree. Yeah, definitely, no doubt. Wow. Um, so uh, moving on to our, our next question, um, and that is, what is the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? The I So I love horror. I love everything about horror. I grew up with horror. And so uh, I this is a very difficult question. There's so many that I love, but the, I think one that I always think about the most is uh, Witches, the Scott Snyder and, and Jacques book. Uh, I, I, I think Bad Egg might become, the sequel might be coming out if it's not out already. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's called Witches, and it's I think it takes place in, in, um, on the East Coast in the United States, somewhere in New England, I think. Mm. But uh, the visuals in that book are, they fit my, my style so much so everyone's got sort of specific things that they're afraid of or or visuals that strike them the most and i think this book hits exactly that sweet spot for me just how gangly the witches are um how pale they are and like they're just so creepy and and just mortifying to to see on the page and jock makes it in this weird distort like he likes to do a lot of um uh, it's almost a watercolory in 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 nature is his images, mm. and the whole thing is just so personal. It's all about this one this one specific girl in this town, and I think just how personal the book feels, uh, it combined with this the imagery that is exactly what I was looking for in a book. Uh, I think really just gets to me a lot. Wow, um, and how long uh, is witches? Witches, I, I, I don't even remember. I didn't discover witches until after it had come out in a graphic novel. But mm. I, I don't think the first volume or the first run, if it ever came out in floppies, is any more than I don't know, maybe five or six issues. It's a yeah, that's a good question. Not... I've just I've just literally uh, Wikipedia'd it. Okay, yeah, guys, right, six yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't discover it until long after it had come out in trade, and I picked it up from my my comic shop, my local comic shop. Um, shout out to Kamikaze, <laughs> and um, that uh, yeah, it's it's really good. Ah, awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's something that I've I've heard about before, but never mm-hmm. um, actually ended up picking it up. But now that that that's going to make my reading list, and I'm going to have to actually um, follow through on on reading it um, because yeah, I've I've heard good things about it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's definitely going going on the reading list. Yeah, highly highly recommend. I think in like the first issue, there's a scene where you see that uh, it's been so long since I've read it, but I think there's a scene in the first issue where the witch or one of the witches is just like crouched in a tree outside, and it's just oh, I got chills just thinking about it, and it's oh, it's it's so creepy. It's great. It's fantastic read. I love that book. Absolutely haunting. Wow. Um, so, uh, come on to one of my, uh, 
my most interesting uh, questions that I find, uh, and that is, what is your favorite cover? My favorite cover is probably the Swamp Thing Winter Special that I think was a 2018 book. Right. And it's this picture of, it's this snowy, I love snow also, by the way. So uh, right. uh, comic artists out there, um, I will write in so many uh, snowy tundra scenes. Um, <laughs> you won't even believe it. it'll be great. Um, I, I hear I hear all the time from my artist friends that drawing snow scenes is the best because you don't, there isn't a lot you have to put on there. You just put very simple lines because everything else is white anyway. Um, oh, nice. but anyway, so it's this, it's a snowy cover and there's, the picture picture of of the swamp thing and he's he's sort of standing he's this really imposing figure on the cover of it and he's sort of looking down and he's covered in shadows like he always is and he looks incredible and then in the center of it is this little boy who's who's looks really cold and shivering and he looks like he's sort of in peril and it almost makes swamp thing look like the villain of the book and and like the child is is sort of in for some unfortunate happenings with with the swamp thing but uh, I I love that cover so much just because of it, it sets up so many expectations for what the book is going to be about. Mm. Uh, but then as you read along, the rug is sort of pulled out from under you and you sort of realize what the actual situation is. And, and that that book itself is so perfect in so many ways. And I, I think the cover is just the, the starting point for that. And I, I yeah, it's it's great. Because, so a, a lot of comic covers will sort of use, um, I don't know, maybe themes in the book to try and, and inspire what goes on the cover. But a lot of times the covers can be misleading. Like you know, like oh, Batman dies in this issue, or like or whatever. But like he, he does, he never dies in the well. He usually never dies in the issue. Yeah. Um, and so they they're often very misleading, even though they sort of reflect on themes in the book. And this one, it. Uh, it, it's misleading in the sense that the end of the book is not quite what it seems, but the cover, it, it, it perfectly reflects what you're supposed to think at the beginning of the story, I guess. Um, if that makes, I'm not sure if that makes sense at all, but it's, yeah, it's what yeah, I'm, definitely what like your, your expectations are being met at the beginning, but then right. they're subverted as the story goes on. I guess right. It, yeah, it's a perfect on ramp into the the story that you're getting into, which is which is fantastic. I love it. Nice. Yeah. No. It's a it's a fantastic cover and sort of like it certainly draws you in. Um, yeah. Because obviously you kind of got the the snowy exterior and then like in the middle there. Yeah. It kind of almost looks warm. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> um, which is uh, which kind of draws you in, um, and the fact that it says eighty page giant. On the front cover there as well, I was going to draw. Oh yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> like that, I didn't even Woo! think about that. That's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's a, that's a, that's an awesome one. Yeah, that's great. Um, mm. So, uh, come on to one of the most interesting questions, uh, and that is, what is the most meaningful comic to you? Like, in meaningful has got so many meanings. Har har har. Yeah. Um, that's. Uh, let's see. I, there, so Neil Gaiman's Sandman is meaningful in so many different ways to so many different people um, because he's a genius. But there's, 
I want to say it's the second volume. I think the second volume might be called The Doll's House. Sandman's another one that I didn't get into until much later after it came out in trades. And I think that's partially because I would have been too young to read them anyway when they were coming out. If I was born at all, I'm not even sure when they started. Anyway, um, I think so. <laughs> 89. <the> second, 89. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I would have been a year old. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> uh, those are those are things that you, uh, an infant can certainly understand. <laughs> oh yeah, easy, <laughs> easy. Yeah. It. Uh, so yeah. So anyway, so the second volume, I think it's called the Doll's House, is what that volume is called. And there's uh, there are these little. They seem like little vignettes where it cuts to this serial killer convention and it's masked as like a breakfast serial convention where everyone goes in, they pretend to be uh, moguls of whatever big serial company, I think. And then when you start to see what happens in the panels that they put on, it's, it's their actual serial killers and they talk about like their techniques, their methods, and they sort of share. It's almost, it's like, and there's, there's fans of them there as well. And so it's almost like a comic book convention um, but instead of comic book pros talking at the front of the, the, the room, they're, they're murderers and they talk about all these things that they do. And it's, yeah, it's really bizarre. And then you see it and, and you see that they like, they, they like, they enjoy what they do. They don't think of themselves as monsters, uh, even though they clearly are. And they, they're sort of wrapped up in this, this self delusion and in this self bias and through all of Sandman up until that point, like you think of dreams as just like what you think of when you're sleeping. Right. Uh, and then at the end of it, uh, more, I mean, spoilers for anyone who hasn't read, uh, I don't know, a 30 year old comic at this point. Yeah. But, <clears throat> but yeah, so, uh, uh, Morpheus comes, who, whose dream, the, the dream master Morpheus comes in and he decides he's going to punish these people by, by removing, all of this self bias and the self delusion, which is essentially what he refers to as their dream. Uh, and to think of, of dreams as that way is just something that you've conjured in your own mind and in your own self bias. And he removes that so he can see the stark reality of, of the things that they've done and the kind of people they are. And it just, it drives them mad to the point of, I think they I think they end up like just murdering each other because, or maybe murdering themselves. Um, but yeah, that just, it drives them insane. And, and I remember being so struck by that, the idea of people are, are, it's very difficult to see the world as it really is without your own bias and, and how much of, of your own opinion about not only other people in the world, but your opinion about yourself and how true that may or may not be. And, and what it would be like if someone took that away from you and, I, I thought about that for for months and months after I read it. It was it's so I think it might be my favorite comic ju- or just because or I guess sorry my, my the most meaningful comic um, just because of how long I I thought on that after I read it. Yeah, and kind of the the depth and length that Neil Gaiman went to in order to create a compelling story. <laughs> yeah, it yeah it went. I mean, the premise of a serial killer convention is. And that being masked as a breakfast cereal, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, a convention is is such a bizarre premise to start, and then it goes somewhere. I think that uh, is a lot more meaningful. But uh, but yeah, it was it was an impressive read. I I really enjoyed that one. Oh, fascinating! That's great. Um, and then um, did that really kind of 
was that before you started to that you wrote uh, Bear on Baby or no, uh, was it... it was it was after I it was after I had already written Bear on Baby and so right. uh, at that point uh, I mean the similarities are clearly there um, <laughs> I mean you can clearly tell that one was definitely influenced by the other but all I'm saying is that Bear on Baby came first. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, kind of, yeah, that then, um, what's it called? Yeah, the fact that Bear Iron Baby came first before you read Sandman. Um, yeah. And then, um, did, did that, do you think, had a, had a big impact upon your upon your writing style? Or um, were you just appreciative as a reader? I, I really think that it probably did. I This might be... Yeah, I I think it very well might have. I'm trying to remember when I started writing in a much in a much more different style than what Baron Baby. I think you're right though. I think that might have been when I I read a comic and realized how much how much more it could be and sort of uh, the things that I was interested in. Um, and I I think it might've been the, the sort of a turning point in my writing style. Cause I, I also really like to explore things like that. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'll ever be as accomplished as Neil Gaiman in doing so because he does it so well. Um, Neil Gaiman really likes to sort of personify really abstract concepts like dreams and, and death and time and things like that. And I, I latched onto that. I think, uh, pretty pretty securely and, and just tried to do as much with those kinds of concepts um and so i, I think it might have been i think the second volume of neil gaiman's sandman might have been that moment nice that's awesome um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing when you do read a story and you do have like some sort of enlightening moment or just moment of clarity um that oh wow you know comics can be something more than you know what you'd previously thought and that you know you can really try and explore con- complex um thoughts and ideas um and uh, yeah that, that kind of opens up your mind into what's possible i guess yeah and it's what's really cool too is stories in general there are so many stories that will have the same message i guess yeah. Uh, but there are, you can, you can sort of try and relay a message in, in a story in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And so somebody can read a thousand different stories that have that message that, um, for instance, like if we're going to stick with the same, same Sandman story, the idea that, you know, you have self bias and that things aren't, may not objectively be what they appear to you. Uh, you can read so many different stories that have a similar message, but it isn't until you find one that is told in a very specific way that finally resonates with you. Uh, And I think that is uh, an incredible, I mean, not just in comics, but in all like in books and movies and everything. Mm -hmm. And so the book doesn't necessarily have to have a unique message um, to, to be good. It just has Mm -hmm. to tell it in the right way that, that sort of hits you in, in a way that, the others didn't and i think i mean i think i got i got a little sidetracked here i went off in, in an odd direction but um but yeah so, so it, i think at that moment comics i thought about that in the specific world of comics and that they all they don't all have to be a certain way 
um, they don't have to, you know, fit into a neat box and that you can get really weird with comics and, and you can sort of tell things the way they're intended to be told and, and hopefully resonate with people in, in, in that way. I th- man, that got, I meandered a lot there. Nah, not at all. That's it. So again, the more meandering, the better, I think, really, because you never know where where you're going to end up. Um, you know, because you can you can end up on a on a diamond mine for all you know. So. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, so moving on to our our next question, um, which is, uh, what is the most underrated comic that you've read? There's there's a series a top cow series called Postal and most of it was I think it was uh, Matt Hawkins I think started writing it with Brian Edward Hill until Brian Edward Hill sort of took it over and and kind of made it his own and I Postal is a highly rated book by everyone I think who has read it but I don't think it gets the spotlight that it deserves right. and and. In, so the the series, if you're not familiar, is this small town in Wyoming that sort of serves as a halfway house uh, for criminals who are on the run or who are looking for a new identity or just a place to sort of retire. And it's all they're all criminals and bad people. And it's sort of there. There's very strict rules inside the town. Like there's no crime. There's there's no murder is allowed. And if you if you break these laws or these rules then there are dire consequences to it and and so that's sort of the setup of the book and then a lot of you know outside visitors come to the town and things go wrong and and anyway and so brian i think used that premise to craft some of the most compelling villains that i've i've witnessed um in maybe the past 10 years but he's also managed to he brian seems in all of his books and from the interviews that I've heard from him does a great job in trying to understand people and how they operate. And what happens when you actually understand why somebody's doing something is that you can tell their story in a way that makes it seem almost, almost uh, sympathetic in a way. And so Brian, there's one again in in probably the second or third volume of it. uh, He, took a character that had, I mean, in most people's eyes, had no right to be redeemed. It was this this white supremacist character that had done some, like, just these unspeakable actions. Right. And he managed to find a way to not, you didn't like him at the end, but you you didn't hate him nearly as much as you did at the beginning. And that is such an incredible feat for someone who's done such terrible things. And that alone, I think, speaks volumes, not just to him as a writer, but just to the power of stories like that in, in comics in general. And I think that the, the book deserves a lot more conversation around it um, just because of those things. Definitely, because when you, when you sent that through and I looked it up, um, I thought, what a fantastic premise. Um, yeah, yeah. That's a that's an amazing premise, um, and I'm, I was surprised I hadn't heard of it because I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a Brian Edward Hill fan as well, so I, um, uh, I hadn't come across that at all. Yeah, he, that, that was that was the book that introduced me to him, and I think I've I've right. picked up most all of his books since then just because of that one. And, and uh, yeah, I think that was that was my gateway into the drug that is Brian Edward Hill. Nice man, nice. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's going to uh, reach my uh, my reading list as well. So uh, mm. thank, thanks very much. Yeah. Um, now we come on to one of our most difficult questions, 
And that is for you. What is the best comic of all time? Uh, Swamp Thing Winter Special is perfect. Awesome. And this question, this this isn't even a fair question. Like, there's it is. It's really unfair. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's sort of a jerk of a question. <laughs> um. Yeah. So Swamp Thing Winter Special might be the. I love it so much. Awesome. But since I've I've used that one already in a question, I think I might defer and say the entire series of lock and key or at least the entire series so far as another one that i've come into the game very very late yeah uh i just started reading it this past year and i've only gotten to volume four all ah, right but but so far lock and key is so it's so good in that it's funny it's frightening it's sad it hits every possible emotional uh range of it, it hits the entire range of the emotional spectrum and there's the the art in it uh, i I'm, I'm struggling to find words a because i'm tired but also because it's it's a, a a series that i think is so hard to describe because it's so many things it's it's scary it's funny it's emotional and you care about all the characters so much as if they were real people. And that's a, a huge feat in itself to write characters that are not just compelling to watch because crazy things happen to them, but also because they feel real. Uh, and Joe Hill, I mean, is, is, uh, is a great writer. And I think this might be his best work. I, I started picking up his, his DC Hill house books that just started coming out too. I, I'm really excited for those, but um, I think lock and key so far because of how complete it is, is, uh, might be the best comic of all time to me. Uh, and it's sort of a cheat because I'm going to say the entire series and not one specific one. <laughs> nice. Nice. Always the best to go for the whole lot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> for sure. Excellent. Um, and so, um, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Uh, when I, I maybe the zombie survival guide, the recorded attacks, the, the Max Brooks graphic novel, he wrote a book, um, probably 15 years ago or so just called the zombie survival guide. And it was just how to survive a zombie apocalypse. And I think in any apocalypse, you should probably, uh, prepare for the eventuality or the possibility of zombies. Yeah. And so if, I, nice. if I'm going to bring one, if, so I can't bring the survival guide itself because it's not a comic, it's a book. And so he made a, a graphic novel called Recorded Attacks. And if there's going to be uh, any useful information uh, in a comic book, it's probably going to be in that one and in, in how to survive that kind of situation. Um, but then there's, I also really like, uh, have you ever read uh, I Hate Fairyland, the Scotty Young book, the series, I, I, rather? I hadn't heard of it until you sent that through. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it looks awesome. <laughs> it's it's so fun. It's the, yeah. it's the most fun reading a comic, because a lot of the comics that I like and that I read and follow, um, there's, there's so much to try and wrestle with conceptually, and, like, just there's, I don't know, there's so much you need to pay attention to right and with i hate fairyland and 
it's just so much it's it's so straightforward and so fun to read that it might just help me take my mind off the dire situation that is the 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 asteroid apocalypse and so i might bring that one just as a some some fun escapism just to try and and try and lighten the mood as I watch this little girl in fairyland murder a unicorn, I guess. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah that, that's another great premise. And uh, the, the, the art that goes with that is just so, you know, so much fun as well. Um, yeah, like it's, it's, I mean, he, from what I understand, Scotty Young got a lot of a flack when he first started drawing comics that he drew into cartoony of a style. And that's right. and that's what makes this book so fun is that it's 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 such a brutal book, but it's drawn in the most cartoony, childish style, and it's just it's such a fun contrast to to go through. It's it's hilarious, and it's just a good book. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's it's not the same art style, but kind of like South Park. In that yeah. you know, you've got these four eight year olds who say these terrible things, like some right. terrible things. Um, right. but they get away with it because they're kids <laughs> yeah. kind of, i guess so like similar in this way that because it's so kind of cartoony like you can completely get away with it you <laughs> have this you know fairy doing all these these things oh yeah if you if you tried to to read i hate fairyland in like a an alex ross uh like a very realistic style it would be a much different book i think yeah Definitely. It would be much more disturbing than it actually is. Oh yeah, very much so. Uh, but that's a, that's a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Um, and um, with uh, with this asteroid uh, apocalypse in mind, uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take with you? Um, my insulin pump. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you gotta have gotta have that. Uh, um. So if I'm, let's see, in my plan, I'm going to the pharmacy and I'm just going to try and hole up there, I guess, because the roads are going to be blocked. Um, probably uh, a crowbar, I guess. Uh, a crowbar would be, it's a multifunction tool. You can use it as a weapon, but also uh, pharmacies, from what I understand, uh, have like, most of them have these shutter locks on them. And so I'm going to need something to try and pry into that uh and so probably probably a crowbar i think that's it's just a it's a utility tool right you can do anything with a crowbar you can you can open cans of food with it you can break into stores you can use it as a weapon um it's heavy though which sucks but yeah that's annoying but it's a good workout i guess yeah right yeah (laughs) oh yeah i'll adapt i'll get strong yeah exactly why not fantastic cans of chunky chunky soup with meat in it and then yeah, bring exactly. the microbar around and get beefy on the, the zombie apocalypse or the the, the it, it'll eventually be a zombie let's be fair every apocalyptic gonna event is going to turn into zombies it always does and it always, always be a thunderdome as well and <laughs> fight in the thunderdome and you know <laughs> Uh, it's gonna be Tina Turner and mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. all of she's that always there, for sure. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Dylan Gilbertson, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, this was the most enjoyable apocalypse I've ever experienced. I, I <laughs> thank you for having me at it. Absolute pleasure. Um, and for the listeners, one more time, where can they find you on the interwebs? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dill Gilbertson, uh, Dill with two L's, D-I-L-L Gilbertson. 
and then you can find uh, most of the stuff that I'm working on or have worked on in the past uh, at my website, dylandoescomics.com. Fantastic. And again, those links are in the show notes. Um, and then do, do you have uh, any cons coming up at all? Uh, on the 23rd of this month, uh, I'm not sure when this episode will air, but the 23rd of November, I'm going to be at, it's not a con, it's a really small event at SoCal Comics in San Diego. I'm going to be tabling there, um, selling my wares and, and meeting people uh, down there, so you can find me at that. I am. I think the next con that I'm scheduled to be at might be Rose City Comic Con. Um, and so I, I will be... There also Emerald, whichever one comes first, either Emerald City Comic Con or Rose City Comic Con. One's in Portland and one's in Seattle. Uh, but I'll be at both of those. And so if you're going to be around uh, next March, I should be up there for those. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. Well, uh, everybody, go check out Dylan's work um, by by following the, the the show note links and and whatnot. Um, and again, Dylan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, again, thank you for having me. It was a great time. Fantastic. Okay, Dylan, hopefully uh, catch you at a con at some point in the future. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try I'm gonna try and hit the win. So Sweetheart comes out in March, and so I think at that point I need to try and attend as many shows as humanly possible for just for that book. And so uh, hopefully I'll be, if you're going to one, hopefully I'll be there. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks again, Dylan. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Dylan for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Dylan's work or follow him on social media, those links are on the show notes, with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.